Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that was in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Welcome. We're glad you've joined us today. Whether you're a first-time listener or regular listener, we're just glad you're on board. Have a friend with me today I'm going to be interviewing that I've known for some time. I think you'll find it interesting how she and I connected. We'll let you know that here in a minute. But, Jolene, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Randy. Yeah, absolutely. Why don't you go ahead and tell the folks how you and I first met, how we first became friends, okay? I'd rather they hear it from you. Uh, Randy used to be my junior high football coach. (laughs) I played football in junior high at West J Junior High, and Randy was a coach there. Yes, West J's in Dunkirk, right? Absolutely, and Jolene held her own ground. I don't mind telling you, we didn't have to protect her for (laughs) sure. And uh, part of that comes from having uh, a lot of brothers and cousins, and I'm sure the game got physical at home. Oh, yeah, I was the only girl until I had my daughter on my dad's side of the family, so... Wow. Wow. Yeah. So, Jolene, so we'd like for you to share with our listeners out there, what was life like before the addiction? Who were you? How did it look? Just share that, please. I I enjoyed spending time with my family, with my grandparents. I grew up with two brothers, so I was always active in sports. Uh, I enjoyed softball. Just a regular kid doing regular things and I started using when I was about 13 years old, so there wasn't a whole lot of childhood before that addiction that that I have to recall. So you don't remember a lot prior to the addiction. Right. So how, how do you believe the addiction got started? What were those moments? You know, technically, how did it begin? And maybe if you could recall any of your thoughts. As I look at it now and I process it, I feel like it was trauma-induced in some ways. Uh, In other ways, it was bad choices that I was making, you know, peer pressure, things like that. But mostly I think it was just not knowing the dangers and just trying trying to fit in and it just went too far. We're all in that battle to fit in, and we sometimes make the the wrong choice as to what group to fit in with, but the one that will accept us is the direction we're going to go most of the time, yes? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it was those folks that that accepted you made you feel like somebody. And it was a normal thing. It, it, You know, some people say, well, they would go skating or they would go to games or stuff with their friends, but my friends and I— we would set up town at the four-way and drink beer or smoke pot or whatever we were doing, you know. Um, it, was, it was a normal thing. What was the drug that you first started with? Marijuana. Marijuana. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you remember how you got your first marijuana? I don't even remember the first time I smoked it, but I'm sure somebody had it, and it was just— Passed around yeah. and shared. Yeah, it huh? didn't seem dangerous or scary because— most of our parents were doing it. You know, it wasn't it wasn't something that was unknown to us. <clears throat> okay, you were comfortable with that then to a point. Right. Yeah, yeah. How long was it marijuana before it went to something else? I would I was 
very bad with alcohol, um, and then meth really bad by the time I was 15 years old. By the time you were 15. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little about the battle with alcohol, what that looked like at that age, and then we'll move forward in a minute. It was uh, just what we what we kind of lived to do. It was like, I, I can remember days when we didn't have no money, and our parents wouldn't give us money, so we would go find all the change we could find, roll pennies, whatever we could find, and we'd go buy a liter of vodka, some orange juice, and a joint, and we would drive around until it was gone, you know, and we did that. That was all that was all we had to do. It was mostly just everybody we knew, that's what we did. Was this mainly with those your own age or was this it, it varied. It like, varied. The age varied. Um of course there has to be somebody twenty one to buy the alcohol, you know, and um real good friend of mine, I think she was the youngest of us all and she was just a couple years younger than me. So she was probably thirteen, you know. But so it, it varied from thirteen to probably 28 years old, you know, all the different groups of us just running around. It was just a normal thing that we did. It just depended on the given night who was there and how it was going to play out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So from the alcohol then, how long was alcohol your drug of choice before you took the next step? I don't know that alcohol was ever really a drug of choice. It was more a drug of convenience. Aha. Uh -huh. Makes it, sense. Yeah. And then a couple friends started making meth. And it just spiraled out of control from there, you know. Um, it gets a hold of you. There's not a lot you can do. Tell us about that battle that you had with the meth. How long? Uh, what were some of the feelings? What were some of the, the struggles? Any losses? Relationships broken? Yeah. Um, my battle with meth lasted for almost 20 years. It, during that time, I lost a lot of people I care about, uh, including my children. Um, I lost relationships with my parents, my siblings. Um, it, it almost makes me cry today because I think, I think of all the pain I cause the people I love, and it's sometimes hard to hold, you know. And it, I don't know how much you want me to say yet. So I don't you know. go ahead. Um, like, don't stop until you're ready to stop. You, you go through this addiction, and you think that, you know, you're not hurting anybody or it's not it's not leaving lasting effects that will follow you for the rest of your life. Or you, you're in the moment and you don't even realize the pain and suffering you're causing people. And I've been sober for August was three years. Congratulations. And I have had people doubt me. I've had people talk badly about me. I've been in and out of courts. I've done done everything I can do to show people that I'm a different person now. And the people that I love the most are the people that I'm still having to prove that to today. And Is part of that because they're the ones you hurt the most and they're just scared to let their guard down maybe? Yep, I think that's what it is. It's their way to protect their self. And once you've caused so much pain to somebody, like my daughter, for instance, um, when you've caused so much pain to somebody and you— you keep telling them over and over, you're going to fix it, you're going to be better, and you let them down constantly, constantly. I could see how it could be really hard to, to trust in anything they have to say or believe that they're going to do better. She um, never seen me in her life sober until she was she's 18 now, 15 years old. So this, it was a very hard life for her, I'm sure, a lot of lot of things that will follow her for her, her life, trauma, you know, pain. Um, abandonment issues, things like that, that she's going to have to deal with as she's, you know, learning to be an adult and 
work through those things. I know you've shared enough with me to realize that some of the ways you modeled yourself as a parent, one the way that you wanted someone to see or path you want your children to follow. That's right. Uh, there were those times there was some violence in there. Uh, domestic yeah. domestic abuse goes hand in hand with, with alcohol and drug abuse. I mean, it, it just, it does. And my husband and I, we got sober together. Uh, he, he has 31 more days clean than I do. <laughs> right. so, but I'm real proud of him too. And, you know, when we, when we hit our rock bottom, it was, it was bad, Randy. And, and you know, he filed for divorce and it, in that, the judge granted him, you know, our home and our son, and I, I had to be kicked out on the street. I was not, not allowed to be there. So at one point in time, I was living in a tent in my mom and dad's backyard. I, I couldn't even go in their house because they were done. They, they didn't trust me. They didn't want nothing to do with it, and I can't blame them for that. In that moment, though, I was the victim. You know, it was, why are you treating me this way? And just, you know, trying to make them feel bad so I can manipulate and get what I wanted from them. And that I live with that stuff still today, too. I'm sure, as with most of those who struggle with addiction, you had that ability to manipulate what you had to do to get to that next moment, to get that next fix, that next hit. Yeah. And though you you wanted to find your way out, you were so deep into the darkness that that had to be hard to do. Is that accurate? It's very accurate. I remember before I got—because I had attempted to get sober many times before, and, you know, I— You've traveled this road with me, and you've seen it. And I, I would, I would do little. I would do good, and then I would fall down. And I would do good, and then I would fall down. But it was always trying to do good for somebody else. It wasn't ever really me investing in me. And it was because somebody else was telling me to do it. Well, then there came a point when, you know, I was homeless. All I had was a vehicle. Everything I had in the vehicle, selling drugs. You know, and have any of my children, nothing. And I was in a state away from home. Which I didn't have home, you know, but as far as where I've always been from. And I remember one time I just pulled over on the side of the road and I just laid out. I got out and I laid in, in the road and I just begged God to kill me. Let a car come by and run me over. Because the life I was living was so painful and so heavy to carry, but I couldn't see a way out of it. And I just, I wanted it to stop. And... I don't know. I'm here today. That's, that's hard for most folks to imagine that you could get to that point. And I'm sure you never planned or wanted to get to that point. No. Mm -mm. But you said it earlier on, once it gets hold of you, it just gets an incredibly tight grip and long arms that keep pulling you back. Yeah. I think of it like, you know, it's to me, I, now that I'm I'm sober and I see it from a different perspective. It's almost like a some type of oppression on a person, you know, like a type of demonic oppression that you just can't you can't get away from. Well, you're living without control of your own life. Yeah. And once you take control, you can look back and see. Yeah. 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 So what were some of the the moments not necessarily the lights on moment that moved you toward recovery, but what are some of the things that maybe went through your mind, the experiences that I've got to get out of this. I've got to change my life. I've got to find a better life. Well, Randy, after we had gotten the um, order from the judge and I was kicked out of our home, I went and got high and I sat and I got angry and I'm real angry. And I... About 4 o'clock in the morning, entered into my husband's house, and I physically attacked him. 
and the cops ended up getting called and I was arrested. And I I spent some time in jail, and I'd say about nine or ten days into jail, give or take a couple days, there was just this moment of clarity, this moment that, you know, for me, it's my higher power, it's God. It was me desperately begging you know, I remember laying in that cell saying, whatever it takes, whatever you need me to do, I will do it. I promise I will. I just need to get out of here. And the longer I sat there, the more sober I got. DCS had took my son. My daughter was um, already had been removed from the house a couple years prior. And uh, it was just this thing that came over me. And I can't, it's hard to explain. I can't explain it to you. But I knew in that moment that I was going to do whatever it took to never live that life again. That's the same God that you asked to have somebody in a car run over Absolutely. you. Yes. Here he is <laughs> meeting you at that level yep. and letting you know that you matter, that he cares, that you're important. I remember, if you wouldn't mind speaking to it, if you'd rather not, by all means, you don't have to. But during that domestic violence, as I recall, you accidentally struck one of your kids. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Would you— would you just tell them briefly about that? It was Julie? more of um, trying to strike my husband. Yes. And he was trying to grab our son and flee. And in, in the crossfire, I, I struck my son. And it was never with an intention. Um, and I just I'm thankful that that didn't ever follow me around, you know, for a long time. But it, it, people think that when you get in recovery, it's this I don't know what people think, but I've experienced some people think that when you get in recovery, there's this magical transformation. Everything's going to be perfect. It's going to be, you know, you shouldn't. Recovery is the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life to set and evaluate evaluate yourself daily. You know, like I did this. I got to make amends with this. Oh, my goodness. what You know, and that's a lot. That's a lot for somebody to look in the mirror and realize you're the root of all your problems. Your choices are the root of all this pain you're causing yourself and everybody else. And you have to admit that to yourself before you could ever move forward. That's a lot. That has to be scary. There's There was comfort in the misery compared to the fear of what's clean going to look like? Right. What's sober going to be like? How am I going to live? How am I going to survive? Is that is that accurate? It's very accurate because, you know, I— I never held a job really. I had over 80 jobs in my life. I never held a job continuously because I always was getting high and couldn't go to work. I just couldn't go to work. And so I never had no stability. And I didn't, I did everything that, that my husband and I have now came from our recovery. You know, the hard work, the things that we're doing and um, the family that we have. And there's the consequences of my choices follow me around still. Like my daughter is 18 years old. She's a great kid great kid but she's angry you know and she finally for the first time here about a month or so ago I'm not good with time you know but within the last couple months told me that she she hated me she hated me for the life that her brother has that she deserved she hated me for making her feel like she was never enough and she she spoke on saying that she knew that that was immature you know, she said that she she hated her brother for the things that he was getting to experience that she couldn't and are jealous of him, not hated, jealous. And um, she knew that that wasn't right. And I have to give her credit for knowing that that's not right. But yet finally being able to use her words, you know, for for the last three years, I've been trying to dig into the root of what do I got to do to make this relationship better? What do I got to do to 
to build a relationship with her because we never really truly had one. And all along, I just had to listen, I guess. I don't know. And then let her go. Let her. It had to be a combination. Of course, you had to listen, but she had to be ready to speak and be able to use the words to express it. It sounds to me like she was very clear on that. And I, I just told her, you know, I understand that. And I mean, those are her feelings and they're valid and it may be painful to me, but I've got to hear that because imagine how painful that is to her. Oh, my. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You spoke a couple moments ago about going, about evaluating your own life and Mm -hmm. that pain and to have that play into it. That can become a a stepping stone or a stumbling block, uh, depending again on your next choice because of those choices that got you there. Yeah, and I think recovery gives you that. It gives you the ability to stop and take in everything that's happening and then make the best choice you can make from the wisdom you've gained in recovery. What's best for you? Like three, four years ago, I would have never used words. I would have been like, well, you don't need to feel that way towards me. I don't owe you anything, you know, and it would have made me angry because I was being selfish, being the victim. But in recovery, it's allowed me to, I hear you. I understand what you're saying and I don't disagree, but how do we fix this? Yeah. Yeah. I remember when you first started attending A Better Life, Brianna's Hope, and the attitude you came with, you were searching, but you still carried a lot of the old baggage Mm -hmm. with you, which makes total sense. Uh, You don't just dump it in a day. Recovery doesn't happen in a day. No, it doesn't. That's a a full life process. Mm -hmm. So what were some of the highlights for you on the way to the point of recovery where you're at right now. I'm going to tell you, Randy, uh, this might sound crazy to some people, but I remember our, our my husband and I's divorce did not go all the way through. You know, it was just we had went to a hearing to start the dissolution and they had temporarily granted these things until the dissolution. Okay. So we also during that time had a DCS case for the domestic violence and for our son being in DCS care. And uh, I remember I had this court appointed attorney and I told him, I said, because my husband and I had a no contact order as well for the domestic abuse. I said, I need you to go in this courtroom and I need you to tell this judge that I need these no contact orders dropped. I need to be able to be around my son and my husband to do the things I need to do to get my family back together. You know, I think I had had about 60 days in recovery when that when that happened and 30 of those days were spent in jail. So uh he said, well, that's not going to happen. It's absolutely not going to happen. And I remember there was a handful of people from Brianna's Hope there to support us. And uh, I I just felt and I knew in my heart, I didn't prayed about it and I knew it was going to happen. And I told him, I said, well, if you're not going to say it, then I just need you to sit down and be quiet and I'll tell him what I need from him. And he, he said, well, we'll try. And, you know, God willing, that judge sat right there and he granted the things that I needed. And that lawyer just could not believe it. You know, he just he just couldn't believe it. And it wasn't very long after that. We walked into another courtroom, and the the judge in there heard us. He heard our recovery. We had people there from Brianna's Hope. He's seen the change in us, and he let our son come home. Uh, So our son was only in DCS care for six months, which is actually a very short time. It is. Yeah. So uh, I I say I credit all that to God, but I credit that to my husband and I as well for putting in the work, you know, for allowing ourselves to grow and leave that life behind. 
I think we have to recognize that I believe in God's power, his ability, all that he can do, but he's not going to do it all. Right. He wanted to see how serious you were mm-hmm. and to show that uh, it became very clear and the door started to open and the two of you started walking through them. I just tell people, I'm like, you know, Rob and I say this a lot. If you just take the next right step, everything will fall into place. And that's like my answer for everything, because the hell that I came through. All I had to do was just keep making the next right choice. Like, no matter what was happening over here or over here or what anybody was saying, as long as I knew that my next step was going to be the, the right choice, I knew everything was going to be okay. And I just had faith in that. It doesn't come easy, it, does no, it? No. Tell us some more of those moments that help propel you forward and keep you going forward, those small victories that have added up to this point of recovery. <laughs> well, um, there was a lot along the way, but small victories like my daughter coming back, getting visits with her, small victories like people bashing our names, but yet we could turn around and they, people could see us and tell that, you know, we weren't those people anymore. I struggled a lot with that. I struggled a lot with people constantly doubting my recovery or people saying I'm, I was never going to change. It was all fake, you know, just lots of things like that. And that can harm somebody in recovery. It really can. Oh, my. Uh, I just had such an amazing support system that it did harm. It did harm me emotionally and mentally. Sure. But I never I never relapsed because of it because I used my tools in my toolbox. You know, I called people. I reached out. I would go to meetings. I know when I first got out of jail— you and Rose picked me up for, or maybe Rose, I can't remember if it was both of you or one of you, picked me up for a meeting because I did not have a vehicle. And I remember we, I would go to a meeting every day of the week, every day of the week. If I wasn't at work, I was at a meeting, you know, because that was where I felt safe. And I felt like at least if I'm here, I'm not going to get high today. And then gradually you just, you get strength and you just start to grow into this new life and it becomes your new normal, you know? So when you see... People getting high, you know, you're just like, what? For me now, I'm like, why? Why can't they just cro- cross over? Why can't they just make it to sobriety? And it gets hard to remember how hard it was to do that. <laughs> Does that make sense? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's like climbing and climbing, and you get so tired. There are only a few steps in front of you, but you have nothing left to get you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you've talked a lot about your daughter there and the breakdown of the relationship and now that moment of clarity that mm-hmm. you had with her. What about other people from your past, and where are you with them? Well, you know— my mother and I always had a very, very rocky relationship, and I thought for the longest time early in my recovery, the first year or so, that several times I tried to make amends, and I didn't—I would let it bother me when she wouldn't fully accept that. But I had I had to just back off from that and let her have her time, you know, mm. and for the <laughs> first time in—, in and as long as I can remember for right now, since my grandmother passed away, and we actually had Thanksgiving at my mom and dad's this year with my brothers and my mom and dad and just all all of our kids, and it was it was a beautiful thing. It and worked. It did. First time in a long time. And we're all getting together on Christmas, too. So that's huge, just uh, things like that. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. Relationships aren't rebuilt in a day either. No, are they? these are tears of joy. <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. Uh, 
what else would you like to share that will help some others understand the battle? What would you like to say to maybe somebody who's who's done damage in their relationship with their child? What kind of advice would you give them? I think that when you just want, you have so much you want to prove when you get clean, you know, first, like, you want to show them, and you just keep keep telling them, I'm doing this, I'm doing this. But you never, for me, I didn't stop and take into consideration all the things that my kids were going through. It was what I was going through and what I needed to do to make myself feel better because I'm moving along in my recovery. Okay. See, I'm in recovery. I'm doing it. And it took me a while before I realized that just because I'm in recovery doesn't mean that they're in recovery from the pain I caused them. <laughs> and so this, we still deal with this. Uh, Zane, Zane. That's your son, my, right? Yeah. How he, old is he? He's going to be eight. Okay. But he, um, all the domestic violence, if there's a, a loud voice or a raised voice, he flinches, you know? And he was never, you know, it's just, he's seen a lot of that. So when loudness comes, he thinks, you know, something physical is coming that he's going to see. And, you know, and that's not been for a long time. He's getting a lot better with it. But I think he had maybe a little PTSD from that. And uh, it was being aware, like, make sure you don't raise your voice. Make sure you don't, you know, because to him, that's trauma. So if if I if I'm trying to tell him to do something, I'm not going to try to discipline him by raising my voice to him because that's not what he needs. And know? he's not going to hear you after no. you've raised your voice. I'm going to guess that right. he shuts down because of the pain he feels at a moment yep. like that. Yep. And I think he has a little bit of separation anxiety. He doesn't like to really go anywhere and stay anywhere. He's always with Rob or I if he's not at school or daycare, like just always with us. He does. All of that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That separation anxiety. People PTSD. I, <laughs> I, I see it more than I wish I did in so many cases, so yeah. many situations. And I think we're all in the PTSD of some type, be it from a health issue, the loss of a job, yeah. be it addiction, whatever our recovery may be, there's some PTSD involved. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, I lost my grandparents. My grandmother passed away first. And that that's really when everything for me really started to go south. You were uh, really close with her, was, as I recall. Yeah, she was like a, like a mom to me in every aspect short of giving me life, you know what I mean? And uh, So when I lost her, it was it was really hard. And I find, I, I mean, there's sadness when I think about her now, but there's, there's a lot more joy. Like when I think about her, I can think about the good times I had with her, the things I share with her. And I, I find myself wanting to be like that. You know, I want to give my kids these traditional things. I want to, and I try hard to strive and do that, where a couple years ago, I didn't even know what they were doing because I was out here doing all this crazy madness, you know. And I, I I struggle a lot with the lost time that I had with Alyssa, knowing that I can't gain that back, knowing that all the wrongs I did can't can't be made right because some of them yeah. some of them can't be fixed, you know. But I tell myself a lot. When I when I started to get these thoughts in my head that, you know, I yesterday's gone. There's not a thing in this world that I can do about anything that happened yesterday. You know, we'll never see that time again. So I strive daily to disregard yesterday and start fresh every day. Make it a better day every today day. than yes. yesterday. Mm-hmm. So you don't have those to be sorry right, about. Right. Yeah. And I feel like as long as I'm doing everything I should be doing and giving it my best 
That's all I can do. That's all I can do. Jolene, tell us where you are now. Uh, share with us some of the comforts and the peace that you have and how you're able to look back at this, not and ignore it. You feel it, but you know you're beyond the so much of the struggle, not completely, but certainly yeah, in a big Yeah, because the struggle will be there, I think, forever. Absolutely. You know, just the choices you make once the problems arise, you know, but for, uh, life is good, Randy, uh, for my family and I, we, we are doing well. Um, Alyssa moved out. She has her own house. Uh, she stopped and see me today, which was nice. So I love the visits like that. I don't see her a lot, but she is of an adult age. You she moved out just out of anger. No, she no, just she... felt it was time to leave the nest. Yeah, she right? turned eighteen and said she had to go. So she's only about a mile down the road from us, but she's she's doing good. But it's really nice when your kids choose to stop and see you so that that's nice it makes my day when she does that um rob is same job he's had for a long time uh, i work at the glass factory now so i don't get to go to meetings and stuff like i would like to i work a seven day swing shift so i'm exhausted most of the time but we go camping a lot we spend a lot of time together as family we enjoy each other's company and those are all things i took for granted for such a long time and i think had i not lost every bit of that and had to fight so hard to get it back, maybe I wouldn't have valued it like I do now. That's certainly got to add to the mm-hmm. value of it, make it so worth so much more to you and to Rob as well. And for you guys to have that rebuilt relationship. It's crazy. It's learning learning who somebody is all over again because Rob and I were never sober together. We met each other getting high on drugs so we were never sober together but now that we are it's like you gotta when you're in that life of drugs you're not really caring about what somebody else likes or dislikes what they're comfortable with or not you know and now we can you know use your words you know like uh, i'm not okay with this or you know yes i'd love to do that you know and it's the communication is very important and we didn't we couldn't do that before and and now we have that the selfishness is gone and you're looking out for each other instead yes. of self. Yes. Yeah, yes, because his um, he's his mom is battling some health issues right now, and he called me the other night when I was at work. I was telling me about it, and instantly my heart hurt for him. But th- then I went to this place of fear for a minute because we've been through a lot together. But the death of a parent is not something that either one of us have ever faced. You yeah. know, and so yeah. when you come from addiction. You think you're thinking everything that's going to happen, you know, all the pros, the cons, the worst case scenario, the best case scenario and what you hope can happen, you know. So I'm sitting there in my mind. I'm thinking, God, I hope my husband's strong, you know, like whatever, whatever happens that he, that he will have the tools and the ability to move forward positively and continue it and that I will be able to be there and be whatever it is he needs so that he can do that. You know, so you really are thinking about the other person and, and what they need. It's a whole different life. (laughs) You've got to relearn and relive. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it's obvious you're getting there. I'm proud of you. Thank you. You know that. Uh, As you know, the name of our podcast is Faith in Your Recovery. What do those four words, faith in your recovery, mean to you? Faith in my recovery. I don't know, Randy. I, I think it is, for me... That's recovery is the life I want, you know, and I have to have faith that that I am capable of doing it and that 
no matter what happens, you can all you, you can always make the choice to keep moving forward and not go back. So when I have weak moments, as we all do, you know, uh, I don't pick up the phone and call a friend. I don't pick up the phone and call, um, you know, a peer recovery coach or anything. You know, I pick up the phone and I call you. You know, I pick up the phone and I call my Uncle Jason. And I think that's because when the world starts to feed me the nonsense that makes me doubt what I have going on in my life, I always need somebody that can revert me back to how I got here to begin with. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, and somebody who knows your story. You don't have to tell the whole story. They know where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it really keeps me grounded. And I, I value those things. And for me, that's what it is. Knowing faith in my recovery is knowing that if I'm at that limit, all I got to do is reach out. You know, and I have to I have to be able to do that. And that's what it takes out there, folks. Don't give up. Keep, you know, keep seeking. Have that support circle, whether it's a recovery group or church or classmates or whatever it may be. Get with that, with those folks who are looking at goals the same as yours. Absolutely. Yeah, continue forward with a positive mission and surround yourself with folks who, who are after that same thing. Yeah. So, Jolene, is there anything else you'd like to share? Uh, you know, anything? Yes, anything. I just want people to know that recovery is hard. You know, there'll be days that you're on your worst day that maybe you don't want to get out of bed and you, you're fighting everything. And I, early in my recovery, I used to remember my worst day is only going to have 24 hours in it. This day <laughs> is only going to have 24 hours in it. Lay down and sleep it off if I have to. Whatever it takes to make it through that day, you know, and... On the other side, there is a beautiful life, you know, and a better life. And you just have to you have to get it. You know, so many people out here are struggling and they're losing their lives. And if it was easy enough for one of us to go out there and do it for them, Randy, we would. We absolutely would. But you have to be responsible for your own life. You have to make the choice to save your own life. And I just I really want people to start realizing that, that nothing magical is going to come around and, and do it for you. And some people may make recovery look gram glamorous and all this, and they don't tell you the painful truths of it. It is hard, you know, and it's ugly. And on the other side of hard and ugly, it's beautiful. You just got to make it there. Yes. <laughs> and you got to scratch and claw to get Whatever there. Whatever it takes. As you were saying there about those tough days and just getting through the day, I thought of an old adage. I forget exactly how it went. But thus far, we've survived 100% of our worst days yeah. that we didn't believe we could make it through. Yeah. I look back now and I'm thinking so many times, never would I have thought I'd be here now living the life I'm living. Yeah. Well, we're glad you are. Uh, that victory path, and I know that you've gone with us to schools and spoken. You've shared your story. You've reached out to others. You've shared what's been given to you, and I think that just helps to perpetuate forward motion. Yeah, 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 uh, absolutely. I think it's important that people, people see love and kindness, you know, so— like when you're passing somebody in the store or on the street and you see that they're they're high or they're struggling, you know, don't be that person that's, oh, look at them, you know. Go up and say, hi, how are you? You know, is there anything I can do to help you today? You know, any, you know, and I think that goes a long way. People don't realize that just a little bit of kindness and compassion can go such a long way. It, that's what that's what did it for us, too. You know, Brianna's Hope is filled with 
love. That's all. That, that doesn't matter where you're, what you're doing, what your drug is, what anything is going on in your life. You know, you, you can come in there and tell them you just killed somebody, and you're there because you need support. You know, and they're going to hear you. They're going to be. They're not going to judge you, and that's that's the beauty of it. And I think more people need to do that for people. Yeah. Yeah, it's just that idea of trying to be there and to offer yourself without condemnation yeah. or judgment. They, none of us need somebody else to beat us up. Right. We do. We do good enough ourselves. Yes. That you know that mm-hmm. for sure. Well, listen, Jolene. Thank you. Thank you for joining us here in Faith in Your Recovery. Thank you for having me, Randy. Uh, it's been a pleasure. God bless. Take care. All right. See you. <laughs> don't give up on yourself and don't give in to the urge. Your answer, your healing, your recovery may be in our next episode. Have faith in your recovery by having faith in yourself, your journey, and above all, God. Believe and stay in the fight.